It's Thursday, October 7th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Some more on all the fallout from the Pandora Papers. Part of a global hunt looking for looted treasure has led to the offshore trust of art dealer Douglas Latchford. Latchford has trafficked and profited from Cambodian artifacts he obtained over the years. He was indicted in 2019, and prosecutors wanted the forfeiture of any and all property related to his trade. But he died soon thereafter, leading to the big question, what happened to all the money and looted treasures? Peter Horisky, reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for how the Pandora Papers shed some light on where these relics might be. Next, another story about the growing cost of being unvaccinated. A woman in Colorado is being denied a kidney transplant because both she and her donor are unvaccinated. UC Health said that she would be inactivated on the kidney transplant list unless she began the process of getting a vaccine. Studies have shown that COVID-19 can be especially deadly for recipients of kidney transplants with a mortality rate of 20 to 30 percent. Hannah Knowles, reporter at The Washington Post, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. And so he had, a, he had an awful lot of money and objects in that kind of trust. But in a, as I pointed out, there's actually quite a few of his objects that may have been smuggled that are in museums around the world. So it's sort of like the Cambodians are currently on a treasure hunt in a way. They're trying right. to, to get all that stuff back. Joining us now is Peter Horisky, reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Peter. Thanks for having me. So a few days ago, we did a, a whole overview on the Pandora Papers, really kind of uh, a lot of these financial documents kind of exposing a lot of the secrets of, you know, the elite and how they use offshore tax havens, trust, secretive trust to hide money, avoid taxes, all that stuff. We kind of did a big primer on it, but now we want to dig a little deeper into some of the things that were coming out with that and one of these really interesting stories has to deal with a man named Douglas Latchford. He was an art dealer. He had a, a lot of ties to ancient Cambodian artifacts that a lot of them are currently sitting in museums. He's a really interesting figure. But through these Pandora papers, we we're able to find out, you know, he set up a lot of these secretive trusts to maybe hide parts of his personal collection, uh, many of which some of these items that are in there people think that were looted from these temples in Cambodia. So it's a really interesting thing to go through. So, uh, Peter, help us walk through some of it. There's a lot of details. Let's start off with Douglas Latchford. Who is he? Douglas Latchford uh, was an Englishman uh, who moved to Thailand. We're not exactly sure when, but as fairly, but he was a fairly young man there and was smitten by Khmer art, the, uh, the artifacts from the Khmer Empire. You know, that's uh, Angkor Wat. It's the big tourist area there. And he was, uh, you know, like I said, uh, smitten by this beautiful art and, uh, that was created between the 9th and 15th century and started his own collection. What we learn later is that part of his collection was based on just looting sites all over Cambodia, not himself, but he was in touch with looters. He would get the objects, uh, often quite cheap, and then they would end up in the hands of being sold to collectors and, you know, some of the most prestigious museums around the world. As I mentioned, you know, he's been connected to a lot of these looted things. He was indicted by the U.S. in 2019, 
part of it is, you know, they want to say, hey, give us back some of these looted items, all of this stuff. But uh, the other kind of unfortunate thing is he passed away since then. So it's this big old question of what happened to all the money associated with this, all the looted treasure. And this is where the Pandora Papers play a, a part. You know, we, we're starting to get a few of those answers, possibly. Uh, you know, when they indicted him in 2019, I, uh, he was in, into his late 80s. By that time, he'd had a pretty full and long career. And as part of the indictment, the prosecutor said, we want the return of any criminal proceeds and we want the return of any objects back to Cambodia. But when he died shortly after the indictment, at least, you know, left open this question. So where is the money? Where is the loot? And that's what the Pandora Papers helps us answer, at least to a certain extent, is he had an offshore trust, a uh, Scanda trust. Uh, that was set up in the island of Jersey and run by a, another company that was registered in the British Virgin Islands. And the Scanda Trust had, had a lot of relics. It also controlled hedge funds and some private bank accounts. And so he had, a, he had an awful lot of money and objects in that Scanda Trust. But in a, as I pointed out, there's actually quite a few of his objects that may have been smuggled that are in museums around the world. So it's sort of like the Cambodians are currently on a treasure hunt in a way. They're trying right. to, to get all that stuff back. And that's why the Pandora Papers are so important in this, because it kind of, you know, linking the paper trails, I guess, right? Because you set up one trust, transfer things to another trust, set up a, a shell company to run those trusts. You know, it, it's just, you know, layers upon layers, and it gets pretty murky on all of that. And, you know, for the Cambodians themselves, when they talk about these artifacts, the Cambodian Minister of Culture and Fine Arts, he says, you know, these objects are not just decorations. They have spirits and are considered lives. You know, it's important to them, to their history. And going back to these museums, there's museums all over the world that are attached to Latchford. They hold pieces that we don't know possibly were obtained legally, possibly were looted from, you know, these temples. But we're talking about the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, Denver Art Museum, the British Museum in London, museums in Australia. For their part, how do they respond to these types of things? Basically, no comment was their initial take with us, or that you know, no comment, or and we're working on it. But this has been their position for years, uh, that we're looking into these objects, and we're doing due diligence, and if we see a problem, we'll return them. But there's at least a couple of cases that we point out in the story where in the museum there's a piece that matches the description of a piece that's named in the indictment as looted or described in the indictment as looted that stands in the museum. And, you know, there's critics who say they really need to take a deeper look at their own collections and see whether or not the story that Latchford would tell about each one of these items is actually correct for, you know, he, he would make up stories. They, oh, I got this one from this guy. Or right. in fact, he invented, uh, we're not sure if this guy, who this guy was in, that's mentioned in the indictment. But anyway, he kept saying, well, yeah, I got it from this guy, Ian Donaldson. And he kept continued to say this after 2001 when Donaldson had died. So clearly anything that came from Donaldson after 2001, it's a bit sketchy. 
you know, experts say that if uh, you have any pieces in your museum that are tied to Latchford, you should really make the extra effort to see where it's come from, where, where it came from and past ownership and all that, just to see if they're legit. You talked about how, you know, Latchford himself was really into these relics and, you know, moved into the area. People that knew him said it was a genuine obsession with him. He wrote books about his adventures, some real Indiana Jones type stuff of, uh, you know, uh, adventures that he would go with uh, other people and, and go to these, uh, to these sites and look for these things. Tell me a little bit about, about that. As I mentioned, he wrote books, he mentioned people almost trying to fool people in a sense to say, hey, these things were obtained legitimately. I think he was, a re- I mean, there was a, something genuine about his enthusiasm. He, he would take helicopters into these remote areas of Cambodia where there were these temples that were somewhat overgrown and would run around looking for, for artifacts. It wasn't easy work, or it's not an easy tourist trip either. He, he, there were times when, you know, you'd see signs for landmines because the, the country was still dealing with, you know, the civil wars that they'd had there for, for so long. It was a risky business, and, and but he was up to the challenge because he, he wanted to get in there and get that art. You know, the ransacking of a lot of these temples was really big in the 70s. And for Latchford, they say that he was a, a big part of this illicit trade that was happening all the way from the 70s up until 2010. You know, one of the big moments where things changed for him was in 2011. Uh, he was about 80 years old at that time. There was a French archaeologist who discovered something. Uh, there was clear evidence that one of the pieces that he was uh, either had donated or sold to that was going to be put in a museum, there was clear evidence that it had been looted. And and one of those key things is you look at the statues and you look at their, the bottoms, you look at the feet and you can see chisel marks. You can see that they were cut. And, you know, that was one of the clear things that this French archaeologist noticed. And then that's kind of what triggered a big investigation to Latchford. Right. That was kind of the, the beginning of the end. That happened in 2011. He wasn't indicted for another eight years. But that was uh, the event that sort of set in motion what would become his indictment. Basically, a lot of these statues have no feet when you see them in the museum. And the reason is, is that they were hacked off at the ankles. Because the uh, you know one of the difficulties when you're looting is transportation, and the pedestals are quite heavy, difficult to move. So if you can hack them off at the ankles and move the statue that way, that's what they often did. So what this what French archaeologists noticed is that Sotheby's had put up this statue called the Duryodhana, and he looked at that, and then he started to do some measurements based on the photography, and he goes, "I know where the feet." To that statue are there in this place that had been looted in the 70s i think it was the 70s so this piece had been you know looted at least in the recent decades and after that happened sotheby's had to stop the sale and the piece was returned and u.s investigators got in there and then there were follow-up indictments of a, another gallery and then finally in 2019 was latchford's indictment and again this is where the pandora papers come into play after that initial one that happened and investigators are starting to look into him. A lot of these relics started moving into these offshore trusts that he and his family were organizing. I guess a lot of them, uh, his daughter was uh, named as a beneficiary. So, you know, all of that paper trail started going. And and now I guess for her part, his daughter, uh, Julia is trying to return some of those artifacts, but there's still very little is known as to what is in those trusts. 
And that's frustrating for the Cambodian officials who are trying to relocate all those artifacts and bring them back to Cambodia because, in fact, they didn't know of the existence of one of the trusts. There's two trusts. One's called Skanda and one's called Siva. And everybody knew that there was a Skanda trust, but I don't think anyone had the paperwork that showed that this was actually a, a legal entity that Latchford had created in Jersey. And I don't know that anyone had heard of the other Siva trust, which also held his collection. And so this will help them presumably track down and make the case for returning some of the objects that had been held by those trusts. Yeah, I mean, it's just an interesting story. You know, the Cambodians are trying to recover a lot of those relics still. There was words that before Latchford had died, he was planning on maybe donating a lot of this stuff back, maybe as a bargaining chip so he can get legal immunity out of all of this. And it just, you know, shines, you know, through the Pandora Papers and, you know, this story specifically shining a light on, you know, how all of this stuff was kind of being conducted. You know, the looting of artifacts, the making of money, hiding it, all very interesting. And, you know, on top of that, he was just a really interesting guy because I think he did have an honest appreciation for the culture and the artwork. But at the same time, he basically robbed the country of its part of its legacy. Well, we'll see how many more things we'll get out of this story specifically and other things from the Pandora Papers releases. A lot of interesting things there. Peter Horinsky, reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. I feel coerced. I feel like my life is being held in their hands in exchange for a shot. And, you know, the attitude is just take the shot. Joining us now is Hannah Knowles, reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Hannah. Thanks for having me. There is a Colorado-based healthcare system right now that is denying organ transplants to patients that have not been vaccinated against COVID-19. They say in almost all situations, they are denying these transplants. And we actually have a story already of one woman who uh, they sent her a letter saying, you know, if you you don't start the process of getting vaccinated, we're going to put you uh, inactive on the organ transplant list. So, Hannah, what do we know about this story? We know that this is actually not, you know, an uncommon policy at this point, I believe. There are lots of transplant centers that they've already placed certain conditions on giving someone an organ transplant because they are in high demand. They want to make sure that the organs are going to um, the people who are most likely to do well after surgery and not reject the transplants. Um, And there is a number of studies that say that people with kidney transplants are really much more likely to die of COVID-19 if they get it, like 20 to 30 percent mortality rates compared to like 1.5 percent for the general population. And so that's the thinking in addition to requiring recipients maybe, you know, don't smoke or don't drink or have certain vaccinations. um, You know, now you have this added requirement in many places of getting vaccinated against COVID as well. Um, And it is it is controversial, though, because the idea of denying medical care based on vaccination status is just, you know, it's a really divisive thing right now. And we've been seeing that exact thing happen, you know, when we're seeing ICU beds filled up and and hospitals being overrun in some parts, you know, they're having to go to these, uh, they call them crisis standards of care. And 
Sometimes they have to turn people away. We've already seen that, and we've seen the uproar over that, too. And there are actually cases in which being vaccinated could put you at the back of the line for certain care. I mean, there's something called monoclonal antibodies, which are really effective treatment for people who do get COVID-19, makes it less likely that you'll develop really um, serious symptoms. Um, and, and some officials have been saying, you know, we should really uh, conserve that for the unvaccinated because they're actually more likely to die. And that, and that was controversial as well. So lots of hard decisions being made. But the idea here that this Colorado health system making is making is that, you know, we already place a lot of conditions on our transplant recipients. This is just one more. And it happens yeah. to be um, a political issue. This health system we saw, they have the same uh, thing for their employees. They already fired a few people. I think less than 1% of their employees were unvaccinated. They got rid of those. And, and, you know, to your point, being kind of a political issue, this story kind of entered the spotlight because of a Colorado state representative, Tim Geithner. He kind of started blowing this up. And since then, we've kind of learned a little bit more about the the potential transplant uh, recipient and the donor. One of them says they didn't receive the vaccine for religious reasons. The other one said uh, there's just too many unknowns with the vaccine. So that's why they refused it themselves. Yeah. And, 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 you know, their argument is that we shouldn't be denying a really important, potentially life-saving treatment for something that, you know, many Americans are still hesitant about. But again, it sounds like they are still looking for a transplant center that will do this. And they've actually had to look out of state because they can't find a hospital in Colorado that will do it while they're still unvaccinated. Yeah, that brings me to my next question. So this uh, UC Health is, is uh, you know, putting this uh, these kind of rules out right there. But, you know, this is just kind of to their uh, health care, to their hospital system, because organ donations are coordinated by another network, a national network then they haven't necessarily put out these types of standards. So it's not that she can't get the transplant. It's just not going to be done within this hospital system. Yeah, yeah. And, and as more of them transition to that same policy, it could get harder. And I think that's just one example we see of how it is really getting a lot harder to be unvaccinated against COVID in this country. I mean, you could be fired for it um, in many jobs. You could have higher health insurance costs. I mean, obviously, on top of you, you could be more likely to die of, of COVID. Um, you might not be able to go to like indoor dining. I mean, there's just all these ways that we are, you know, increasingly imposing costs on that choice. What else do we know about this patient as far as like um, how desperately she needs the kidney at this moment? Obviously, you know, if you're already on the organ transplant list, you know, you need it pretty badly. But, you know, how far along is she? How much um, kidney function does she have left? The lawmaker who spoke about this case, he said she has like 12% of her kidney function left. I mean, she has a she uh, has a pretty serious condition, and I think she was hoping to get um, this transplant in a matter of months. And um, some people, sometimes people do often wait a long time for these transplants because every year there's way more people who want them than can get them for kidneys. Hannah Knowles, reporter at the Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. 
This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.